Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? All the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right. Emergency podcast time, busy weekend in boxing, some breaking news in the old man boxing circuit. A little bit later on, I'm going to check in with Tony Harrison, the former junior middleweight champion who's got a fight coming up this weekend. But first, I want to bring in a guy that is so thirsty to get a slot on the old man boxing circuit. You just have to check his social media page to find out former junior middleweight champion, 40-plus-year-old Sergio Mora. Is that about right? I knew you were going to transition into that. I, I just felt it. It was just so cheesy, and I, I saw it coming, man. I saw it coming. And yes, you're right. I shall return. <laughs> see, yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. You do want that money. Uh, before we get into Holyfield, I want to run through what was a pretty interesting boxing weekend um, in multiple locations. I want to start with the with the championship fight that we had in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Joe Smith Jr. uh, becoming something of a household name in boxing circles for his recent performances. He grinds out a really tough win against Maxime Vlasov. And Serge, I'm going to give you credit because for the last week, you have been saying that Vlasov is a tough opponent. He was a very tough opponent to the point where I actually scored that fight for Vlasov. I scored at 115-113, for Vlasov, so I don't have a problem with Vlasov winning that fight or with uh, Smith winning that fight. But this was as close as you can possibly get in a championship fight. What did you think of the fight? Uh, Smith's performance? Did you think he won? Give me your uh, your impressions. I'm looking for last week's notes where I actually wrote exactly what Vlasov was going to do, and he did. But off the top of my head, I told you that. Vlasov's style of fighting, the fact that he's naturally bigger, longer, uh, is coming down from cruiserweight to light heavyweight. The fact that he could take a big punch, that he's never been knocked out. He's only been beat by, uh, by high-level champions. So on and so forth, man. It's, I mean, the writing was on the wall. This is why it was such an entertaining fight. And I'm glad that, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty for people like you. But it's always twenty twenty for a former champion like myself, man. I'm telling you, Vlasov gave him a hell of a fight. I, I personally thought he pulled it off. Going, in, going into that 10th round, I had him winning. And I'm glad that Andre Ward saw what I was thinking. I think tweeted that, you know, the fight was taken out of Smith. He kind of looked, looked uh, a little desperate. He was haymaking. He was throwing big shots. He, he just wasn't calm and cool and poised looking for that big punch anymore. He, he was fighting from behind now, and, and it showed. Um, and it's a shame that the, the judging, uh, I believe one judge had it wrong, Gary, Gary, no, no, uh, Gerald Ritter. Gerald Ritter, who's the twin brother of Gary Ritter. Gary Ritter is the, the referee, but Gerald Ritter was on the judge's scorecard. He scored that fake knockdown 10-8, and that caused Vlasov not to win this fight. Now, it could have gone either way, Mannix. You asking me who I thought won, I thought Vlasov pulled it off. But all in all, 
it was an amazing, you know, uh, high level, high entertaining fight. He's, I didn't even know. So Ritter scored the knockdown 10 8. Is that right? Correct. He's the only one that scored a 10 8, and everyone else 10 9. And he didn't give Blasov not one round. I'm sorry. He, he, none of the judges had Blasov winning the first 10 rounds. That's hard to believe. I just, I don't get it. Oh, you know what? It's funny that, you know, you say this and we're kind of reacting in real time over the weekend. I didn't know that Gerald Ritter gave uh, Smith a 10-8. He shouldn't have given him a 10-8. I mean, that, you watched it. That was a clip on the back of the head. Smith's argument is that Vlasov ducked his head and kind of forced the shot to hit him on the back of the head. But that looked to me, watching the replay, like a shot to the back of the head, which is illegal and should have been scored exactly the way Gary Ritter, the referee, scored it. Look, I've been guilty of getting hit behind the head. It's our style. Vlasov has that type of style where he moves his head like that. That's actually our fault. That's the boxer's fault. It's not the referee's fault. If you're putting your head down to evade punishment and, 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 and block the punches, that's your fault. Now, that could have been called a, knock, a knockdown because uh, uh, Joe Smith was punching down. You can't avoid that. It's an illegal shot, but when your head is down, you have no choice but to punch that way. So that actually should have been a knockdown. It's a slippery roll if you're the referee, and I think you know, the fact that he, uh, Gary Ritter was able to catch that in an instant without, the, without the, uh, um, uh, going back and seeing it in slow motion, you got to give him credit. It wasn't a knockdown, and since it wasn't called a knockdown, the judge, his twin brother, shouldn't have called it a knockdown, shouldn't have been a 10-8 round. That's interesting because you're right. If that's not a 10-8 round, Gerald Ritter's scorecard is, what is it, 115? Well, does he still win 115, 114? 115, like, 112. That's another thing. 115, 112 is what he had it. I mean, 115, 113, either way, I could understand, but by three points. No, well, then it didn't matter, right? Then it, then it didn't matter. Well, I guess that we're, I mean, I guess it mattered in the sense that the scorecard was a little bit wider, but it didn't matter ultimately if Ritter, I mean, if this final score was 115, 113, he still would have won. He still would have won, but at least Vlasov would have been in the fight. You know, Vlasov would have gone into the 12th round. Maybe, you know, one judge had it even. Maybe a, a, a big round for Vlasov. Yeah, but or even he, a probably, he probably wouldn't have fought any differently. He probably wouldn't have fought any differently. Like, he was fighting tooth and nail to the end. I thought Smith did a good job in the last couple of rounds of turning on the gas and winning them. I thought, I don't know, convincingly is the right word, but I thought he won those last two rounds. Um, you know, it's a tough break for Vlasov, but I, you know, that's the kind of... That's the kind of fight that I don't really disagree with scoring that can be a little bit 1.2 points, 3 points, either way. There were a lot of close rounds, Sergio, in that fight. So I know Vlasov yeah. is disappointed, but Smith gets the win. But on Vlasov, you know, you brought up the point that Vlasov is a former cruiserweight. And watching that fight, I saw Vlasov take the fight to Joe Smith in ways that I've seen very few fighters do. Usually, fighters are kind of on their back foot. You know, Smith is the aggressor. They're the counterpunchers. They're trying to land when Smith moves forward. Vlasov was the first fighter I've seen in a while, and he did it in an awkward way to take the fight to Smith. Is that potentially a blueprint for other fighters fighting Joe Smith? I mean, we all know that Archer Betterbiev is likely to be Smith's next opponent. Betterbiev is a big, strong, power-punching, uh, light heavyweight. Is taking the fight to Smith now something we're going to see fighters start to do? No, I mean, that, no, I don't think so. And it's just some, that was Vlasov's style. He was able to do that with, you know, Surdo Ramirez. He was able to do that with the, the other fighters that he came up short with. But um, no, that's easier said than done. He, Vlasov made a career doing that, and he just has the body frame to do it. He's tall, he's lanky, he has a long reach, and he has those, the, the European style where, where he, he just he frustrates you with the short shots. I've seen the punches that were being landed. This is the reason I had Vlasov ahead. Uh, Joe Smith Jr. was landing the cleaner shots, the easier to see shots, the bigger punches, but the, the sneaky little right hands, the jabs, the frustrating right hands to the body, these were frustrating and, and annoying and hurting Smith Jr. So that, that's what Vlasov made a career out of, and I've seen these punches, and that's the reason me and a lot of people had in my head. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you're not going to give him credit for, for those little uh, – pesky shots then you know you're only looking for the big punches i thought that normally only happens in texas but this fight was in oklahoma 
you know, some neighboring states, they love, they love big punches, I guess, in, in that side of the country. They like the bigger shots, the ones that are easier to see, and not the pesky jabs, the, the annoying shots, the frustrating punches, backing up a fighter. Those are things that I also uh, score, and Blasov didn't get no credit for it. So Smith against Betterbiev is a huge fight, probably going to happen at Madison Square Garden at some point in the fall. Is what you saw, hap- is what you saw happen to Smith in this fight? Does that change your opinion at all of how a Smith versus Better BF fight might go? Uh, no, it doesn't. It's still going to be two trains colliding. It's just going to be, you know, two guys fighting their own fight. You know, Joe Smith Jr. only knows one way unless he's forced backwards by a bigger fighter. Like we saw with Vlasov, with Better BF, we haven't seen him back up. I don't think he knows how to back up. Um, that's going to be a one-way fight. And I think whoever takes the bigger punch whoever has a stronger chin is going to hold up to the the power of each other uh, i'm going to favor better be uh but it's still going to be a hell of a a hell of a fight while it lasts yeah it's a fun fight and i think top rank probably ble- uh, breathed a sigh of relief when that scorecard came back in favor of joe smith now they have a sellable fight at madison square garden uh once this pandemic lifts and we can get big crowds uh back at msg all right let's talk about jerron ennis who uh, took a big step-up fight this past weekend, took on Sergey Lipinets, and he performed, knocking Lipinets out in the middle rounds. Uh, this, to me, Sergio, was an example of a big-hitting welterweight against a big-hitting junior welterweight. This is why weight classes do matter. You know, Lipinets was doing everything he could. There were times he was, you know, backing up Ennis uh, in this fight, but Ennis was just landing some crushing punches. I mean, even the punches that Lipinets had was absorbing into his guard, it felt like they were going through. It reminded me in a way of what we saw ringside with Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell, where Ryan Garcia was throwing some bombs. Campbell had his guard up, but Lip- uh, but you, know, you could tell some of them were either getting through and Campbell was feeling that. I felt the same way watching Lipinets. I mean, Lipinets was uh, defending and blocking some of those shots, but they were just... Hard, hard punches. What did you think of Ennis' performance uh, last weekend? Impressive. I think he put the welterweight division on notice. I mean, we knew that he was a, a, a prospect. We knew that he was the goods. We knew that he was a fringe contender. He's a legitimate contender now. And as soon and as, as soon as we saw it done to a former champion in Lipnitz, he's confirmed. That's it. He's on a championship level now. Uh, he was landing some big shots. I mean, that could be a pro and a con, Mannix. You know, when you're loading up on every single shot, you know, someone that, that, that can punt, block and counter, that, he's going he's gonna to have to kind of, you know, hide his power. But he was able to get away with it with Sergey Lipinets. And when it comes to a fighter like Boots Ennis, he's so damn good, like Bud Crawford good. That's how good he is. I mean, from a lefty and a righty position, that he knows that um, he's not in position to get hit because they have the length and he's fighting a smaller fighter, like you said, a 140-pounder coming up. So even if he did get hit, which he did, he, had, he takes a big punch, too. That's another thing. Butsen shows that he, he can take a punch. Uh, so I, I, don't, I think he just didn't feel, any, he didn't feel threatened by Lipnitz. And he, he just he set up his power. He wasn't trying to disguise it. He was trying to go for the knockout, and he got it. Yeah, he got it. And it was the kind of performance that keeps up with, you know, Garcia, with the Virgil Ortiz, and puts Ennis in position to uh, be a world title challenger at some point in the next year. I, I just don't know, Sergio. I don't know who's going to give him an opportunity here. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I don't see Errol Spence or Ugas, who they're probably going to fight, rushing to give him a shot. I don't see Terrence Crawford rushing to give him a shot. It, it's, you know, afterwards, Ennis said that he would like to get a title shot either before the end of the year or early next year. It might be even longer than that. For Ennis, if I was Ennis' promoter, I would just keep him busy. I would keep eyeballing the guys that are ahead of him in the sanctioning body's uh, rankings and keep trying to make fights with them so you can eventually force a mandatory challenge and get your hands on a belt. Because once you get your hands on a belt, all of a sudden, you've got the opportunity to, to, to really force some fights as a welterweight title holder. 
Yeah, well, once you get a belt, then, you know, you have something that someone else wants. But whenever you're dealing, dealing with that high-level talent, a, you know, Southpaw, well, he's, you know, lefty and a righty. But whenever you're dealing with tall, lanky, power-punching, sneaky Southpaws with heart that could take a big chin, who the hell wants to fight him, Mannix? That's one thing. So even if he picks up a strap, people aren't going to be quick to want to wanna fight him when there's other, you know, uh, uh, prospects, other welterweights that can actually, you know, bring more to the table and bring – equally as much uh, recognition and e uh, another belt. So if you can avoid a fighter like Boots Ennis, you're going to do it. Uh, what they should be doing is just keep them active, keep, have Boots Ennis uh, knocking people out, even if it's on undercards of big fights. As long as he stays relevant, stays active, and continues knocking out everyone the way he's doing it, he will get the attention of everybody. It's just it, there's no way that talent like that uh, will be held back. I agree. I think he needs to fight two more times in 2020 and then see where he is in the rankings in 2021. Last thing on Ennis. Um, a lot of good prospects at welterweight right now, but let's focus on two. Ennis and Virgil Ortiz, who are the two guys most likely to get world title shots in the next year or 18 months. If you were a promoter and you could only sign one of them, who would you take? Man, that's just a, such a tough call, but I'm going to say Virgil Ortiz because... He'll be easier to promote, and he'll be a little bit more marketable, and, and more people will be willing to face him. And I'll tell you why, Mannix, because he's not a southpaw. What did, what did Rocky's trainer say? Outlaw should be uh, outlawed or prohibited or uh, something. They should be banned. Southpaw should be banned. And that's the reason I will pick Virgil Ortiz because he's a fan-friendly style. He's a good-looking kid. He's humble, does all his talking in the ring, but he's not a southpaw. So you, you can get the big names to, to face him. But when it comes to Ennis, who can switch, who can bang, he can box, he can take a big punch, he punches hard. Man, it's a matchmaker's nightmare. Yeah, I would probably take Ortiz right now too, but my reason is that Ortiz at this point has proven himself to be marketable in terms of drawing a crowd. There's been a few fights already in Texas and he's drawn some pretty good crowds, including his last one against Maurice Hooker, which while it was billed as two guys from uh, the Dallas area, you were there. That was, those were all Ortiz fans that were in the building that night. I would like to see Ennis, you know, over the next year, start to get more fights in Philadelphia. Right now, in his last few fights, he has been fighting at Mohegan Sun. Part of that's been due to the pandemic. You've got to fight, you know, where Showtime tells you to fight. But I'd like to see him get more fights in the Philadelphia area and see if he can build up a pretty decent crowd. There aren't many great fighters right now, Sergio, from Philadelphia. There's like, what... One world champion, Stephen Fulton, he's got a world title. I mean, yeah, if you're, you know, drawn Ennis, there's a, a, an opening there for you to eventually become that guy that people want to follow from Philadelphia. I would like to see his handlers put him in the Philadelphia area more and more to see if he can start drawing big crowds. That's the promoter's uh, job. It's not the fighter's job. So, no, that's all, you know, that's all marketing and promoting, and that's what sh they should be doing. But I think they will be doing that now because uh, in order to build a fan base, you got to fight in your hometown and you got to branch out from there. you got to get that local support, and then from there you get the, the support of everyone else, just like Bud Crawford. Bud Crawford has a hard time getting those big fights as well. But what did Top Rank do? They took him to Omaha. They took him to his home base, and he's packing out arenas there. He's not going to pack out arenas anywhere else. I mean, people know who he is. They know he's the goods. He's pound for pound one of the best. But it takes him going to, to Nebraska, to Omaha, his hometown, to fill out those crowds. And they should be doing the exact same thing with Jerron uh, Ennis. Man, I hope those two fight sooner rather than later. I know it's probably going to take one or both of them to get world titles before we see that happen. But that is that could be a fun series of fights uh, if those two can meet at multiple weight classes, Ennis and Ortiz over the next uh, couple of years. Uh, Connor Ben, the welterweight prospect, son of Nigel Ben, he fought this past weekend as well. I admit, Sergio, I wasn't sold on Connor Ben coming into this fight. I wondered in our conversations last week if Connor Ben was more Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. than he was Tim Zhu, who has started to really emerge in the 154-pound division, the son of Kostya Zhu. Connor Ben looked like the goods to me. Like Connor Ben, in knocking out Samuel Vargas in the first round, made a huge statement. Now, you can quibble a little bit with the stoppage. Some may say it was a little bit quick that they should have had an eight count or called a knockdown when Vargas was up against the ropes and leaning against the ropes. But one way or the other, this was ending badly for Samuel Vargas. And that's a guy that has gone to the middle rounds 
with some really good fighters like Errol Spence, like Danny Garcia, like Virgil Ortiz. What did you think of Conor Ben? And has your opinion changed about him based on that last performance? If I remember clearly, Mannix, you said he was a pretender and I had to talk you out of it, say, no, 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 no. He's not a contender. Well, it's to be determined is what I said. And now it's determined. This, this kid's the goods because he has two things you can't teach, man. He has charisma and he has power. He knows how to fight. He's a good looking kid. He looks scary with all the tattoos. But once you hear him talk, he's eloquent. He's articulate. He's thoughtful. These are all, you know, a marketer's dreams, a promoter's dreams. And then for him to get first round knockouts, something that none of these champions, like you said, Spence, Garcia, Amir Khan, Luis Calazo. They weren't able to get him in the first round. They had to go into the middle rounds. They had to break down a tough guy like Vargas. So for him to do that, Conor Ben, who had a lot of questions unanswered, for him to do that on that big stage like he did in sensational fashion, man, Eddie Hearns is licking his chops saying, man, this guy's the next star in the UK. And I believe he is. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, the question we had last week was, is Conor Ben a contender or a pretender? And of course, you straddled that line like a Mexican Adonis right there, trying to uh, take the best of both answers. I thought he was a pretender because I hadn't seen him fight and dominate a great opponent or a high-level opponent. I throw out a win over Sebastian Formella, who I don't think is any good. Vargas, at the very least, has proven to be durable. He has been a banger. He is a legitimate welterweight who came in with a solid resume, and I do believe he was not washed up. I think Vargas coming into that fight had something left in the tank, and Connor Ben just detonated him. I mean, he is a fun, marketable fighter. Now, he says he wants to turn around and fight Amir Khan. Amir Khan is going nowhere near Connor Ben. That's just not happening. I think Khan tweeted about that and said as much uh, recently as well. So if you're Connor Ben, keep fighting on the domestic level. Same advice that I would give to Jerron Ennis. Stay busy. Fight two or three more times this year. Keep moving up the rankings. And believe me, Conor Ben, once they start getting crowds back in the UK, Sergio, fighters in the welterweight division are going to want to come over to get some of that money. How did Terrence Crawford win his first title at 135 pounds? He fought Ricky Burns over in the UK. So there's some a pot of money available to fighters that want to come over and fight a popular opponent. And Conor Ben right now has that popularity, I think, that's going to backstop him against those types of opponents. But I, I think he, he, to me now, is a contender. He is not just a name. He is not just a legacy. He is a real contender at welterweight. I would put him in the top 15, definitely. Uh, a fringe contender for sure. But uh, you know what really impressed me with him? He speaks Spanish. You know, he looked in the eyes of Samuel Vargas, and Vargas tried to intimidate him, saying, you know, I'm ready for this in Spanish. And what did, what did Conor Ben come out and do? He goes, yo no tengo miedo, vamos, cabrón, vamos. You have no idea what that means, uh, Mannix, but I'm going to tell you right now. Come on, you bastard. Let's go. I'm not afraid. Loved it. He wasn't afraid. Um, did you see it? I mean, like, what does he need to work on as he goes forward? Because he does, he is an aggressive fighter and that can be great and fan friendly. But when you're overly aggressive, sometimes you can leave yourself open to stuff. Did you see anything there that he needs to work on? No, the fight lasted less than three minutes. And even the punches that, that he was uh, uh, you know, throwing home runs with, even they were like with technique. That uppercut, normally you could see a little, a little chink in the armor of a, of a fighter's technique when the uppercut, but even his uppercut was nice. The technique was there, the speed, the power, the timing. No, right now, against a fighter like Samuel Vargas, a tough guy, but a, a, a flawed fighter, he was able to demolish him, like you said, in, in quick fashion. That's all that I remember. No, he doesn't yeah, and on, the, on, on, on the stoppage, you know, I, I can see an argument that Vargas would make that it was too quick, but he got his head snapped back by uppercuts twice. And when that happens, I feel like that gives a referee reason to step in. Like that makes you at least look the most vulnerable when you get your head snapped all the way back. And the referee let the first one go and on the second one, that's when he, right after a couple more punches, he stepped in to give it. So I think, you know, if you're Vargas and you're not throwing punches back and you're getting hit by some big shots, you are, are rolling the dice in a way that a referee is going to step in and, and stop the fight. Especially when you have a reputation like Vargas that, you know, you, you can endure so much punishment. I mean, he, 
in a fight with Virgil Ortiz, he was able to last seven rounds. He was the first fighter to do that, but it took a lot of punishment. And I think anyone that knows uh, the way he fights and the referee did his study, and he knows that this is a tough fighter that needs to be safe from himself, and that's exactly what he did. And I call that chicken neck, Mannix. Whenever you punch somebody and they lose control of, of, uh, of being able to take the punch like they should and they just go out of control, that's chicken neck. Yeah, you stop a fight once you, the chicken neck comes out. All right, before we go, um, I reported on Sunday that Evander Holyfield has his return fight set. He is going to face Kevin McBride, who is best known as the man who knocked out Mike Tyson back in 2005, sending Tyson into retirement. Uh, that fight will take place June 5th. It will be the co-main event of Teofimo Lopez's uh, lightweight title defense against George Cambos. That's a fight that Triller the music video app is going to stream. Holyfield Sergio is 58. McBride is 47. Both of these guys have been retired since 2011. What do you think of Holyfield versus McBride? Look, uh, I'm a fighter. I've been a fighter for most of my life. And when I get to my 50s, my late 50s, if I get an opportunity to make seven figures, millions of dollars on an exhibition, you can bet your butt I'm going to take it. So, I congratulate a fighter like Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson and Roy Jones and all these legends that are lifers in this game. And finally, at, at this late stage of their career, they're able to get millions to fight a Kevin McBride. More power to them. I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board because I'm supporting a legend that gave their, their life to, to a sport that, that took a lot from them as well. Look, it's not especially dangerous. It's eight two-minute rounds. Um... You know, both like I said, both these guys have been out of the game for so long, so I'm not expecting either to be throwing haymakers. Neither one of these guys was your traditional one-punch knockout artist in their prime anyway. Uh, I, You know, you say they'll make millions of dollars. I have no idea how much money they're going to make. I'm curious to see who watches because of them. Like, I'll probably, in fact, I will, by the pay-per-view because I'm interested in Teofimo Lopez against George Cambosis. I think Lopez uh, is deservedly a big favorite in that fight, but Cambosis is a game fighter who is going to make a fight out of it. Uh, I, If it was just topped by Holyfield versus McBride, I, I don't think I'd be buying that, Sergio. I just, like, Holyfield, like, Holyfield, like, we saw him pretty recently. <laughs> he was retired, you know, 10 years ago. And when he was fighting at the very end, it was really, really ugly. He's 58 now, and McBride, like, I guess we saw him, you know, at his best against Mike Tyson, putting Mike Tyson down, but, you know, before and after that, he wasn't very good. His last fight was against Marius Bach, and he was stopped, I think, in the fourth round of that fight. I, I just question, I question the drawing power of Holyfield versus McBride. Tyson has proven he can draw. I don't know if Holyfield or, versus McBride is going to bring in any more fans that aren't already there to see Lopez versus Cambosis. You can question it all you want, but the writing's on the wall, and we got receipts. What did Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. did? Yeah, You're but that's different. That's oh, different. On, you know on. it. That's different. You, well, how is it different? Evander Holyfield has history with Mike Tyson. You can link the two. So if Mike Tyson was able to get from what was reported $10 million for that fight, and Roy Jones got one or $2 million, that's millions of dollars, plural, why can't Evander Holyfield get that money? And if they sold 1.8 million pay-per-views and say Holyfield sells half of that, it's still a successful pay-per-view. Hey, listen, man, I'm on board with that. Yeah, but Holyfield doesn't sell pay-per-views. Like, Tyson sells pay-per-views. Like, when Tyson fought Holyfield, they sold a bunch of pay-per-views, but that was largely because of Mike Tyson, who it was and continues to be one of the biggest draws in all of boxing. I just, I don't know who's plunking down money just to see Holyfield versus well, McBride. Well, maybe this is just prelude to, to, to the main event. They're going to no, wait. Look, I, look that, that I think could be true. You know, it, when, when I talk to people at Triller, there is a hope that if Holyfield beats McBride, you can say, well, I beat the guy that knocked you out, Mike. Now I want our third fight next. There is the hope that this is a, a build-up kind of fight to Tyson Holyfield 3. And that's marketing 101 for you, Chris Mannix. Yeah, well, I'll wait for Manfredo Mora 3 uh, at some point later this year. I think you'll do it for 20 bucks and a subway pass. 
999999 under seven figures All right, Tony Harrison is the former junior middleweight champion. He will be making his ring return uh, in 2021 on April 17th, and he joins me here on the show. Tony, what's happening, man? Hey, man, what's the deal, man? It's been a long time, man, since I've seen Connecticut, man. So <laughs> it has it has been a long time, my friend. And and look, uh, condolences to you. We haven't spoken since your father passed away, yeah. and I know. I mean, such a profound impact he had, obviously, on your life, but on your boxing career as well uh, as your trainer. How are you doing with all that? Uh, I think everything has been um, tough. It's been tough, but, uh, um, you know, um, you know, it's life for real. You know what I'm saying? Like, life just happened a little faster than I expected it to, but. You know, it's life. Um, it's 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 a struggle. You know, losing somebody you've seen your whole life, and I've uh, been with your whole life. But uh, I'm 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 dealing with it pretty 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 fairly. You know, what I'm saying like it was hard at first, but I'm dealing with it pretty fairly. And um, his legacy continues, and I understand how to make it continue, and um and um not disappoint him in the ways that that I know I could disappoint him in. And uh, fighting is one of the ways where um we kind of came together. And uh, we kind of understood each other in a different kind of language. And, um, and I'm going to continue to do that for him. How do you want his legacy to continue? Um, like I said, uh, everything we do, not even in boxing, man, everything we do outside of boxing, everything I do in the community um, came from Ali, um, came from his heart. Um, you know, uh, like as a kid, whatever you show your son, whatever you show your son, that's what he, that's what he does. I could teach my son to ride a bike, a motorcycle at three years old if I just teach him every day. You know, so my dad taught me every day how to genuinely give my heart to people that need it. And um, not even when it comes down to money, but just time. You know what I'm saying? He, my, my dad gave his time to everybody. And that's one thing that nobody could say that he didn't do. So for me, I'm just going to keep continuing to give my time. Um, like Ali would have um, done, and uh, and that's in the community, and anybody that would have needed it, or anybody that would have needed his help, and however he could help, uh, he he would have did it. And that's what I'm gonna continue to do. How hard was it for you, Tony, to refocus on boxing after your father passed away? Um, well, honestly, man, um, when 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 somebody passed to you, that's that detrimental to you, and that's that that's that's uh, that close to you. Only thing I could think about was how can I repay him? You know what I'm saying? So that that was that was my whole that was my whole thing. My whole thing was how do I repay him? How do I give? How do I, how do I continue to make him proud even though he's not here and he's still with me spiritually and emotionally? How do I continue to make him proud? And that's get my ass off the fucking couch, stop crying, stop weeping, and get your ass back in the gym and let's continue to let the marathon continue like 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 Nip would have said. What would I mean? Was it a matter of months, weeks before you kind of got back into that mindset? I mean, it was months. It was it was it was months, man. Well, like I said, my my life never stopped. Life for me didn't stop, but the the habits that I was doing were the wrong kind of habits. You know, what I mean, like what were 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 going to cause me to go down a road where I probably couldn't make one fifty four ever again. You know what I'm saying? Like so, it was it was it was it was it was more of a. It was more of a mental challenge than anything to get back in the ring. You know what I'm saying? Get get myself back on focus and get my get myself back in shape. And um, and and for me, man, it took the village to take a village. You know what I'm saying? They always say it take a village to raise the child, and it took a village. It took my brother to get me off my back, and and and, and I had to ride him. And then when his legs gave out, I had to ride my cousin. When his legs gave out, I had to ride my best friend. When his legs, gave, you know what I'm saying? So it just took the it took the village to kind of lift me up. And then I got back to that point where I'm like, okay, um, you back. You know what I'm saying? I came to a point where I, well, mentally I felt like I was back. Now, physically, you know, I still was a little overweight and shit like that. But mentally I felt like, okay, the fire is back lit in you and, and, and I'm back. You know what I'm saying? I'm back. And uh, it took the village. It took everybody around me that loved me and loved him and, and knew I still had a lot left in me to kind of rejuvenate that and, re, and rebirth, the, rebirth the champion again. 
Yeah, and the the fire is something every boxer needs, as you as you well know. I mean, how long did did that take to be kind of rekindled? Um, to be honest, man, I haven't felt the fire for a minute, man. To be honest, um, I mean, the fire was always there, but the kind of flame that I needed to be able to to, to remain champion, um, the fire never went out, but the flame needed to be higher. You know what I'm saying? It took some kind of I need to add a little bit of gasoline to it to burn it a little to make the fumes burn a little higher, hotter. And 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 honestly, them fumes were my the passion of my father. You know what I'm saying? It just took something else to kind of motivate me a little more to to do the same regiment. It takes a disciplined kind of kind of guy to do the same regiment over and over and over and over and over and still see minimum to 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 less of what they think they're worth of giving themselves to the sport of boxing since I was five years old. And to still only see the kind of kind of the kind of funds that I was seeing to dedicate my life and to be lonely as I was to dedicate my life to the sport. Um was was it's a tough it's a tough thing. You know what I mean? To burn the flame down a little it could take the flame down a little bit. So it just takes something to to rejuvenate that flame a little more. And then, like I said, it's, it's sadly, but it just happened to be the passion of my father to kind of really light that flame in me to say, um, do something that, you, that you've been loving since you were five years old. And it's not for money no more. It's not like I'm not doing it for no amount of money. I'm just doing this for the legacy of Ali and to continue his, and to, and to continue his legacy and to show that um, I'm, I'm an Ali product from, 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 the, from the ground up. You know what I mean? So how how do you move forward professionally here? I mean, what what changes within your camp, within your team? Obviously, your father uh, was your trainer and the man that worked closest with you as a boxer. What how do you move forward now? Um, well, what they what I, they, they they did their best job. They did their best job possible. I think um, to have Emmanuel in my corner and like I said, Emmanuel didn't teach me hands-on teach me everything, but I was right next to him when he was doing stuff. So, you know what I mean? It take, it take a, a adaptive learner to just pick it up and just say, okay, I know how to do this now. You know what I'm saying? Without him just giving it to me, I know how to do it. You know what I'm saying? So I, I sat around him on the business aspect and the business side of things and been to plenty of for him, so I understood how to manage myself. I understood what I was worth for myself, and um, he kind of taught me that. And then from my father aspect of it, um, he taught me how to fight, and um, like at this point, nobody else got to teach me how to fight. Like when you get a new trainer, like he don't have to show me how to jab, he don't have to show me how to throw a right hand. Like you, you're not teaching a new guy how to fight. You just implementing your plan. So all I needed to do was find somebody that loved me just as much as I love them, have as much invested as me, I mean, and have as much invested in me as I got invested in myself. And that's the main thing for me is it was just finding somebody. Um, I didn't need the 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 the, the world most renowned trainer to train me because I became world champion with Ali. You know what I'm saying? I just needed somebody that knew me, that loved me, and that could dedicate their time. And that's all I needed was time. And that's that's all Ali ever get, ever ever had to give. He never had money, but he had time to give you to dedicate himself to. You're the only one. Like, he made me feel special. Like, I was the only one. You know, even though he had probably four or five different fighters at a lower level. But um, he made me feel like I was the only one. And, and I, I was priority. And that's all I needed to be was priority. And when you priority, then that means your coach does everything in his path, in his power to make sure that you're successful in every way. And that's all I really needed. And my brother is the stepping stone for that. So if you see me crying on somebody's shoulder, it's going to be my brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to walk in with uh, a trainer and then I lose and I walk out by myself. And that's sometimes you see that picture sometimes with these guys getting trainers just because of a name, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not going to walk in by myself and walk out, walk in with a hundred people and then lose and walk out by myself. No, we're going to walk in. How we're going to walk out of that motherfucker. How we walked in it. And that's what love is. You know what I'm saying? That's all I really needed was love and dedication. And, and you know, now that I got my brother, he, he literally got as much invested in, in, in the sport as, me so that mean when it's time to get up at five in the morning he getting up you know what i'm saying it became a time when my dad got old too you know what I'm saying? older and he like man, i'm not getting up no more you know what i'm saying like so but i understood because you you laid the groundwork so you don't have to get up no more you know what i'm saying i'm, I'm gonna do it right for myself but now 
my brother got as much invested as me. So when I'm up at five in the morning, he up too. He ain't running, but just the fact that he getting up at five in the morning out of his bed, following me in his car for my room. Like you got as much invested in it as me. And that's all I need is you to have as much invested in it as me. And I need you to look at this guy like you fighting this guy. And now, now the game plan becomes he's fighting the guy. So now when it's time for me to do pad work, I'm, 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 I don't. I haven't looked at Perella not one time, but I know I've been fighting Perella in pad work because he's fighting Perella because he does his homework and that's how we do pad work because he's done his research. So that's all I needed was a guy who dedicated his time to me and and I'm on it. We own it. You mentioned Brian Perella. That's your next opponent. It'll be your first fight since uh, December of 2019 when you lost your titles uh, to Jamel Charlo in the rematch. When you look back on that fight, and I was in California ringside for it. It was, it was a competitive fight uh, up until the 11th round when you got caught and you got stopped. What was your takeaway from that fight? Um, my takeaway was uh, not even in the fight. It's just before the fight, just, you know, I can't, um, in this sport of boxing, they say it's very lonely. And, and, the, and one of my dad used to tell me, I, used to, I never used to kind of understand, like, how was it lonely when I got y'all by my side? You know, I'm not wondering when we all doing this stuff together, but lonely means um, it's like no other sport. You can't take any shortcuts. And um, I tend to um, find a way to snack on those shit I'm not supposed to be snacking on at sometimes. Um, eating kind of shit I'm not supposed to eat. Um, getting cards that I ain't supposed to get. And um, I think uh, that part, is the reason I made it so hard to make that weight. Um, that fight, you know, I made the weight. Um, I killed my body to do it. You know what I'm saying? And then that was, uh, I think that was, a, that, that, that was the hardest part of the fight for me before I even fought. You know what I'm saying? And um, I took my body to hell to do it um, because, I, like I said, uh, it's, it's lonely, man, and you got to do this shit right because nobody's looking. And lonely means not that you're by yourself, but just nobody's looking when you're doing the shit you're doing. That could cost you your 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 championship or your your wins or your losses, and um, and for me, I just think I have to do everything right. I deserve to be there. Um, as you can see, I pushed that that for them to say that was the the most physical guy, the strongest puncher in the division. I pushed him back for eleven rounds, for eleven of them. You know what I'm saying? Before, um, I feel like my body gave out because I, I feel like I took his best his hardest punches early, and I withstood him. You know what I'm saying? But I just think as the fight went on, I got more dehydrated. And, um, you know, it was a shot that wasn't even, like, hard, like, that knocked me down. Like, it wasn't even, like, a strenuous punch that he, like, cocked it back where he just caught me clean. Like, my my hand was up, and there's no way he should have knocked me down off that, but it, it came down to the physical part of how I did my body probably the day before and how I took all the dehydration and all the, and all the water out of my brain to – to kind of kind of make the way. So it's just kind of, for me, it's just kind of do this shit right, man. It's, it's, it's you got to do this shit right. Um, it's never about skill level no more. It's about who's who's uh, executing their plan better. Um, so, and I feel like I, I was executing my plan better than he was executing his because his plan was to come in and stop me and walk me down and make me go back. But I executed my plan better than he executed his. So I think that's the, that's the name of the game is execution. And I was executing very well, but, the other part that we don't see is the shit that, like I said, that when somebody's making weight or how they're making the weight or um, what they're eating and, 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 and how much water consumption they're getting and how they rehydrate. That's the main thing. How the fuck do you rehydrate after you eat? Because I made that weight and literally couldn't hold nothing down. I couldn't eat nothing because it wouldn't come. I was literally shit as soon as I ate something or drunk something. So, you know, I couldn't hold nothing down. So, um for me, it's just do it, you know, do everything right. For anybody that's watching this, that's a young fighter, do the shit right. You know what I mean? You only get one of them. You only get one career to do the shit right, dude. So if, if I had to give it to anybody, just do the shit right, man, because guess what? Ain't nobody going to be over your motherfucking back looking at you 24-7 when you're in that room by yourself when it's time to go to sleep and you got bags of chips under your goddamn bed and ain't nobody coming in there looking for that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, so do it right because ain't nobody going to stop you. You know what I'm saying? You're the talent, so ain't nobody going to stop you. You know what I'm saying? So just do it right, man. Do it right, and um, you only get one shot at the shit, man. Like eight mile, man. You only get one shot, you know. Well, Tony, when you look at your career, you've had some impressive wins, topped off by the 2018 title-winning performance against Charlo. The three losses you've had have all come by knockout. Uh, 
does that make you feel like you need to do something different, you know, to, to protect your chin a little bit more? Or do, do each of those have their own kind of explanation for why they happened? Um, To be honest, man, like, literally, like, I look at it like, um, like, if I had a chin problem, I would, like, every time I get knocked down, it's literally later in the fight. Like, it's literally nine, right round nine. Like, I don't get knocked down until round nine, 10, 11, 12. So it's telling it's it's just giving me something that I need more science. It's more scientific for me. Like it's not nothing that I'm doing on the outside. I just think um, it's more scientific. I think my rehydration has to be better. I think how I rehydrate um, and, and my brain absorb these shots because these guys they ain't hitting me with shots like in round one. And like oh he wobbled him. like nah like I'm dominating these fights. Willie Nelson dominate dominating. I wasn't probably losing a round. Jared Hurd dominated. I probably wasn't losing a round. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jamel Charlo, I thought I was winning the fight, but very competitive, but winning the, I thought winning the fight. You know what I'm saying? So, but then again, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just think, for me, I've been doing this shit by myself for so long. Um, science is a big part, of, big part of sports now. You know what I'm saying? Like, how you do this shit scientifically is sometimes how you get over the edge. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, I think, um, for me, like I said, it, I think it becomes a time where my body's just like, man, like it's round nine. You ain't really hydrating how you should be hydrating. Or you, 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 you took a lot out your body in these eight rounds. And um, I work hard, man. I work hard. Like, so for me, I'm not shortcutting myself. I don't shortcut myself when it comes down to training. I may shortcut myself when it comes down to maybe snacks or something like that. But I, I don't shortcase myself um, when it comes down to the fighting aspect of it. You know what I'm saying? So I go hard, man. I wake up at five in the morning. Um, and do my thing. I just did twelve rounds and uh, five miles on this. Uh, twelve rounds in sparring, five miles immediately, five miles on the treadmill after that. And now I'm sitting in the sun and I feel good. I'm cool. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, I don't, I don't take no breaks when it comes down to the training aspect of it. But I think the stuff I'm putting back in my body after I after I bust my ass, I like after I, like I like, this is Tony and. This is the other side. I'm beating Tony's ass right now in training. Like, I'm beating his ass. And I'm beating his body up. So, I just think how I put my body means everything. And uh, I think now it's, like, round nine. Like, these fights, like, round nine and ten, trust me, I'm not the only one that's tired. Like, they, them motherfuckers tired, too. So, that means they tired. They ain't punching me with the same shit they was punching me with in round one and round two and round three. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they tired. Like, their muscles is tired. Their body is tired. So, the punches I'm getting hit with are not this, this, this – they ain't got the same steam on them. So, I'm getting hit – so, this mine, I'm getting hit – I'm getting knocked down by punches that I wasn't getting knocked down by in round one, in round two, in round three. Like, them was the hardest punches. That's when it got fresh. You know what I'm saying? So, really, it's like my body – I got to do a better job with my body, learning my body and, and putting my body in rehydration in, in, in rehydration periods. So, I think that's the main that's the main thing. That's really the main thing. Last question for you. Obviously you've got to deal with Perella in your next fight on the seventeenth. Do you still feel like there's unfinished business though between you and Jermel Charlo? Is that is that rubber match still what you want the most? Um, I, I for me I, I you know I don't, I don't really be needing uh uh fight moves or boxing hype to understand like I'm a fighter, I'm a competitor. You know what I'm saying? Like I never wanted to be a race. I beat you, you beat me, and we just call that shit quits. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm from Detroit. We, I'm, I'm a competitor, and that's what I love to compete, man. And um, to be at that level, to compete at that level for the kind of hatred that we got for each other, I don't understand why it wouldn't be a rubber match. And I wrote him on Instagram myself, and this was man to man. Even though he hate me and I hate him, I, I told him congratulations for, for unifying. But I need my fucking third match. And I said, I don't even give a fuck if it's for the belt. Like, we can meet at a catchway, but I don't want to go. I don't want to retire out of this sport of boxing and say, me and Jamel Charlo is one-on-one. Like, I don't, I don't, I, that's not what I want. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I always want to break that. And um, I think it would be great for the sport. He know it would be great for the sport. He know he know that um, the fans want to see that again. And um, But like I said, the, the ball is in his court, man, so he can he can pick and choose who he want. You know what I mean? Like, what, what's anything about it he want to fight for in this fight, and who he want to fight in this. So, you know what I'm saying? The ball is in his court, man. He, he earned so he's fighting for legacy right now. So um, one thing I can say, like I said, he didn't. After he beat me, and then like he took a lesser fight. So 
that's that's the one thing I can't say about him. He didn't take a lesser fight. He went unified against Rosario, and now he's trying to chase uh, unification. You know what I'm saying? So, like, he's not taking no lesser fight. So I have nothing to say about him chasing his own legacy because you're not taking less fight. You're not fighting somebody uh, a mandatory. You're not doing none of that before you step in and say, "Let me get this rubber bashing over Tony Harrison." You you chasing legacy, and I you can appreciate that from from one brother to another. No question. Well, Tony, good to have you back into the ring, man. I know 2020 was a tough one for you. Hope 2021 uh, is a lot better. We'll see you uh, back in action on the 17th against Brian Perala. That's a fight you can see on Fox. Good to catch up, man. Always see. Always seeing. Uh, like I said, we're looking forward to next week. I'm looking to get back in there and, and unfinished business uh, to, to step back up to, to get that, Jamel. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to... If you're going to run for me this long, motherfucker, I'm going to chase you. So I'm, 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 my, my chasing means I'm going to fight the fights that Al gives me until I'm in position to make that fight again. And um, hopefully it's not too late, man. Hopefully it's not a Mayweather Pacquiao situation. We've got to wait it all out for five more years to make that thing happen. So I'm on it, man. I'm on it. And um, first step is Perella uh, next week, and I'm looking to take care of business uh, real quick. Absolutely, man. Good to catch up. Oh, my dog. My pieces. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Avito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.